0: Christmas, uh, Christmas afternoon, as we came back to Columbia from Greenville, kept seeing cars pass by that had snow on it, and I was like, "Let's let's turn around, let's go find where that snow is." Because uh, man, I always enjoy seeing snow. I always enjoy playing in snow. And uh, ever since we've lived back here in Columbia for the past twenty years, I've only seen snow one time, and so. Uh, Anywho, anywho, it was a Merry Christmas nonetheless. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 22, so turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're walk, wrapping up our Christmas series in Luke that Pastor Bo has been walking us through over the last several Sundays as we have looked at the prophecy of the birth of Christ, um, the angel speaking to Mary, and now we're going to look at uh, a brief uh, time in his life uh, from infant to about 12 years old and uh and so i start thinking about that time frame there of an infant 12 year old over the last few months i've been thinking and my wife and i've been talking about it whatever happened to our baby boys as we look and realize in our house we now got a 21 year old and a 17 year old and it's like what in the world happened the statement time flies was has been so true where has it gone And I can only imagine for Mary and Joseph, they probably had similar thoughts of here's Jesus and time is is going by, time is flying by. So parents, be sure you take a look at your sons, your daughters, your kids, and realize time will fly by. One of the things I go back to quite often is when our boys were about somewhere between the ages of four and nine, it's like time stood still in that moment. Their, their, their bodily and facial features didn't really change a whole lot you know their mannerisms didn't change a whole lot their interaction with mom and dad didn't change a whole lot it was just a unique time in that 4 to 9 years old and of course right around the corner was teenage years and right around the corner was the early 20s and so those all have unique characteristics in and of themselves and if you've gone through that time or going through that time you know exactly what I'm talking about well, let's look at Luke chapter 2 together. Look at verse 22. It's where we'll begin together. It's right off of where uh, Jesus had been circumcised at the age of, I mean, at, the, at eight months. And, and now we begin to see more about uh, or get a glimpse of, of Jesus' early life. Verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we quickly see that that Mary and Joseph are being responsible parents we quickly quickly see that they're doing what God has called them to do, what is laid out for them to do as parents, and to take Jesus through the various ceremonies that they are accustomed to as children of Israel to take him through. Now look with me at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I don't know how many times I have read through Luke chapter 2 and I've not seen Simeon. It's just passed my mind. We know about the wise men, don't we? We've talked a lot about the wise men. We know about the shepherds. We also know about the angels. Every single nativity scene that we have has shepherds, have angels, have wise men, don't they? But where in the world is Simeon? He's a part of the story. We see this in Luke chapter 2. In a moment, we're going to see Anna, two characters that Luke takes time to point out. So there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Luke makes it a point to bring out his righteousness and that he was devout, that Simeon was sure to do the spiritual disciplines that he was to do as a follower of God. It says there Luke that waiting for the constellation of Israel that Simeon was waiting for the comfort of Israel. The consolation was the idea of comfort that the Messiah would bring to the people of God. It also says there, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, something was unique with Simeon that already he had the Holy Spirit upon him. It wasn't an angel that the Lord sends to Simeon to communicate to him what we're about to read. No, it was the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes to Simeon and said, Listen, you're going to live up until the point that you see Jesus. You're going to live up until the point that you see the Messiah. And so this is what Simeon is holding on to. This is what Simeon is anticipating. This is what Simeon is expecting. And in verse 27 And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, once again, Mary and Joseph were doing what is expected of them and being responsible. Verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, as a parent, my mind quickly goes to, that's a little odd, How would I approach somebody who walks up to my kid and picks him out of my arms and holds on to him, and I don't know him? Could you imagine what maybe was going through the minds of Joseph and Mary as that took place? Chances are they didn't know Simeon, but yet here is Simeon coming up to them, taking, of all people, taking the Christ child out of their arms. But yet Mary and Joseph get to witness such an amazing thing. As it says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So at that moment, it comes full circle for Simeon that he realizes that the Holy Spirit had made the promise that he would see the Messiah. He would see the Lord's Christ and then he would die. But he would, he would hold on to life up until that point. And at that very moment, Simeon realizes the time has come. I've received the peace of the Lord because I am now in the presence of His Son. I am now in the presence of the Messiah. So what the Lord has promised is going to happen. Again, as children of God, you and I see that what God promises God carries out. He is faithful. But I want us to look very carefully at what Simeon, how he responds in this in verse 30. Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Listen to that for a moment. Simeon is not necessarily saying, my eyes are seeing the Messiah, my eyes are seeing the Lord's Christ, my eyes are seeing Jesus. No, he goes further than that because he knows who Jesus is. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He knew that God's gift of Jesus to the world was salvation for man and for woman, that it was salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. And Simeon recognized that. And he expresses that in this song. In verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, speaking that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles, would be the message to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And then in verse 33, and his father, Jesus' father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. You know, Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was special, right? Because the Lord sends an angel to speak to each one of them individually about the son that they are about to have. So they had to know something was special about that, wouldn't you? If an angel comes to you and gives you a message of God, wouldn't you kind of realize, okay, there's something something big here, right? He says, and they marveled at what was said about him from Simeon. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon has given them an insight of who Jesus is and what Jesus will bring about to his people. And then in verse 36, again another character that that Luke brings into this passage that so often is overlooked be it an amazing woman as we see in the description that Luke gives and there was a prophetess Anna the daughter of Fenel of the tribe of Asher she was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 and here's what stands out to me about her in the second part of verse 37 Luke says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. Listen to that. She did not depart from the temple, but instead, what she, as she stayed there day and night, she worshiped through fasting. She worshiped through prayer. Can you and I wrap our minds around that? The day and night, we would not leave the sanctuary. Day and night, we would not leave, leave the temple of the Lord. But instead, our presence would be known because we would be worshiping God day in and day out. And not only worshiping, but, but Luke says here in this passage that she also fasted and she prayed. It was a constant in her life. You know, I know sometimes we're 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 caught looking at our watch. There's a clock in front of me, and I'm I'm making sure I finish on time, right? And we're thinking about where we're going, but yet that element didn't even pass through Anna's mind because she was constant in prayer, constant in worship, constant in fasting. And as a result of that, we look and see in verse 38, then it coming up at that very hour, I can only imagine what that that phrase is saying there, is that at that very hour in which Mary and Joseph bring Jesus in, And at that very hour, when Simeon is there in their presence doing what we just read, Anna gets to witness all of that in that moment. Anna gets to see the Messiah enter the temple. Whatever she had heard, whatever she had been taught, her understanding of the Scriptures at that point, her understanding of the Messiah, her understanding of the birth of Jesus, it all comes together in that moment. And what it says to you and I is this. She began to give thanks to God. Can you imagine? You've been told that there is a Messiah, God with us, coming to you and your people. That there is one who is bringing salvation. There is one who is bringing comfort. And in that moment, you're in the temple when he is brought in. And her response is to give thanks. Thanking God for his promise. Thanking God that she was right there in that midst. How many times when I pray about something, when I'm seeking something and God does it, that I move on to the next thing that I want God to do and not stop and be thankful for what God did. You know, it's a challenge for me to realize, you know, David, be in the moment that God is there. Be in the moment that God delivers and be grateful and be thankful to God for who he is and what he does. But not only that, we also continue to read that giving thanks to God, she also spoke of him to all. So everybody that's around the temple, everybody that's moving, all the pieces that are going, all the people that are there, She is speaking to them about God. She is speaking to them about all that she knows. And it says she speaks to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus was special. We know that. We're students of God's Word. We understand that. We see that. And in this moment, Anna gets to rejoice. And then in verse 39 when they had performed, when Mary and Joseph did everything that was a custom for them to do, and they carried through with it, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. In verse 40, and the child grew, Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The favor of God was upon him, was upon Jesus. We'll look at that more at the last verse. Verse 52 is Basically, Luke restates this in a little bit different way. But let's keep going in verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Mary and Joseph probably didn't just go to the Feast of the Passover, but they also went to the other two feasts that happened during that year as well. Again, they were very obedient. They were very faithful in their relationship with the Lord and their understanding of the relationship with the Lord. It was a practice for them that they showed Jesus. Again, Jesus was not only God in human form, His divine aspect, His divine nature, but yet Jesus was also human. He came as you and I come into the world. Verse 42, And when He was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And verse 43, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning... The boy Jesus. And that caught my attention. Luke states it this way instead of just stating Jesus stayed behind, Luke says the boy. And he gives us the fact that he's 12 years old. Now, the first place my mind went to is I started calculating in my head 12 years old, okay, that means he would be what grade? Seventh grade. My youth minister day goes, a 7th grade middle school boy. Okay, now I get the picture, right? Think about it. Any teachers in here, anybody in the school system, any parents, any men in here who've been recall can recall their 7th grade year. Your mind is filled with all kinds of things, isn't it? But yet remember, this is God in human form. This is divine. So yes, he's Jesus human side, but yes, He's God, divine side. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. We don't get any indication, or yes, we do get an indication, that Jesus never told Mary and Joseph what he was doing. He never said where he had to go and why he had to go there. He just stayed behind. (laughs) And off in the distance, Mary and Joseph, his mom and dad, go. And it says there in the last part of verse 43, his parents did not know it. In verse 34, 44. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. So they're traveling for a day. Now, it's not uncommon that as they travel together, it'd be like, like all of us in this room right now, when we decide we want to travel to Atlanta. We're going to pray and we're going to get in our cars and we're going to go down to Atlanta, okay? Ride with whoever you want to ride with, because we all trust each other, right? We know each other for the most part. We trust each other, so ride with whoever you want to ride with, okay? Well, that's kind of how it was. You travel together because you're traveling with family. You're traveling with acquaintances, and it didn't bother you where your child may be until you go looking for him. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, uh uh-oh, where is Jesus? Can you imagine that? You're the parents and you lost Jesus? You know, I might be a little all right if I don't see my son for a moment, but I've been given the responsibility of Jesus. That probably weighs out a little more, wouldn't you think? And they look around, it's like, where is he? And when they did not, verse 45, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And listen to this, verse 46 after three days. Man, I I can't imagine. You know, I've had those moments in the department store, in the Walmart, wherever, and I can't see one of my sons back when they were young, and your heart just sinks, it just drops. I mean, I recall a time when um, Mike and Jennifer might remember this. Mike and Jennifer had gone with me to Montreal, Canada. We took a group of students. It was, I think, my second trip here. We took a group of students uh, to Montreal for a mission trip. And all my years of youth ministry, man, I just became a professional head counter. I mean, if we were on a bus, we were on vans. It's just natural you leave with 50 you return with 50 no more no less if you return with less oh no if you turn with more oh no but you always counted heads you know it's just what you did no matter however many stops calling a van ahead you got your 15 you got your 13 you got your 12 you just made sure I remember when in Montreal we we were walking on a Wednesday, we had the Wednesday off, and I counted heads, we were ready to leave. We stopped and got a drink, counted heads. Made sure everybody was, good. Right, we're good to go, let's go. And as soon as we counted heads and I turned my back, I didn't notice that one of them had slipped away. After we had already said, go to the restroom, everybody go to the restroom, one of them slips away to the restroom, and we're out. Now we're in Montreal, nobody knows where we are. You I mean, this is the first time we've ever been there together. And we're walking the streets of Montreal. We had probably gone 30 yards. And this student comes running up behind me, panting, with this fear in his face and goes, you left me. I went, what do you mean we left you? Where were you? We counted. Well, I had to go to the bathroom. So you go through all that story. Just the fear of realizing you've left somebody. I can only imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking and feeling. So after three days, they found him. They searched everywhere. The place they found him was in the temple. And listen to these words. Students, kids, listen to this. Adults sitting among the teachers. Sitting among the ones who are telling stories that we now call the Old Testament. Teaching about what the relationship of God was with the children of Israel and the Exodus, all those things that they would sit among each other and talk about and teach about. And not only that, but Luke makes a point that says that Jesus was also listening to them. Not only sitting in their midst, but listening at every word they have to say. And I get that picture of Jesus just sitting maybe with his elbows on his knees, looking them in the eye and just, just hearing all that, they, that they're saying. Same time, he's God. Yet he's sitting and listening to what they're saying. Luke also says to us in this verse and asking them questions. Man, wouldn't it be great? This is one of those, when I read this in scriptures, it's where my mind goes, Lord, why didn't you just give us a few more chapters? Why don't you just give us a few more chapters of what Jesus' life was like? Maybe the questions that he, that he asked these that he sat among. For whatever reason, Jesus doesn't, God doesn't. But Jesus is asking questions. Verse 43, 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. We know why they were amazed, because God was sitting in their midst in the form of Jesus. We know that. They did not realize that. And they were amazed at who he was. Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Now, I don't know about you, parent, but I've had those moments run through my head thinking, you know, why are you acting this way? (laughs) Why are you acting this way? I know how we've taught you. I know how we've tried to guide you. Why are you doing this? There's that moment that she has with Jesus as well. She goes on to say even, Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You've stressed us out. I know as a parent, I've been stressed out by my sons. I mean, if you're a parent, at some moment in your life, you have been stressed out by your kids. If not, it will happen. Okay? It will happen. If not, I want to sit down with you and know what you've done because I want to share that with a bunch of other parents coming along because they need to hear it. But can you imagine what Mary and Joseph, we see what they were experiencing? Verse 49. And he said to them, and when I read this, I don't read this as if Jesus was being boastful, I don't read this as if Jesus was being disrespectful. I read this because Jesus knew what He needed to do. Verse 49, and he said to them, "Why were you looking for me?" As if they should know they should know that Jesus will be at the temple. And then Jesus says, "Did you not know that I must be in my father's house?" "Mom, Dad, why are you surprised?" Why are you surprised that you would find me of all places sitting here in the temple? Listen to what it it says there in, in your translation. Hopefully your translation, the word Father is capitalized, showing you and I that his mention of Father here is Father God, not Father Joseph. He is talking about his creator. He is talking about God the Father. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Again, they're just, you know, even like young parents, you're, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to do, what do I do with what I have in my hands now? And then, you know, nine years old, what am I supposed to do now? Teenager, What am 20-year-old, what, what am I supposed to do now? and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Verse 51, And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Students, parents, I mean students, kids, Jesus was submissive to his earthly parents. Adults, if your parents are still living, there's moments that you need to be submissive to your mom and dad. It doesn't change. Then we see in the last part of 51, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. You know, we get that, we, we see that beautiful saying again earlier, where Mary pondered what had happened with what she was a part of. You know, Mary storing up all these thoughts, all these emotions, holding on to them, learning from them, because God has done something special in her life. We see it in the scriptures that God says, you are my favored one. Mary, you are favored. That's why I'm coming to you. Something special that Mary is experiencing all, every step of the way. Last Sunday, we laughed. I don't remember who it was I was laughing with about, you know, I've got a brother that's 10 years older than me, so he's, he's 64 years old. And growing up, man, I saw all about his life. I mean, I saw pictures, black and whites. So you know, that's basically what it was. You know, even there's black and whites of me, that shows you how old I am. You know, black and whites of him, lots of them. My sister, maybe a little less, photographs. Me? Brother might have had ten albums filled with pictures of him. I got lucky if I got three-fourths through an album. You know what I'm saying? That's just, you know, the, the, the more kids that come along. But Mary pondered all these things up, not wanting to forget what she was experiencing But in verse 52, Luke kind of brings it all together. These 12 years of Jesus' early life, and I really lend to think that in verse 52, Luke is also thinking about all the years in between, from age 12 to when Jesus began his ministry at age 30. He culminates that in verse 52, and it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's the verse right there that just kind of brings me to a place to go, okay, all that you just read, Dave, here's the one that's really getting to a point for you and to a point for all of us. If Jesus is our example, which I believe he is, and scripture tells us that he is, How am I doing in those areas in my life? Most specifically, the area of wisdom, favor of God, and favor of man. And that's where I want to leave us this morning is with that. You see, Jesus grew, as Luke says, Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus' wisdom grew in his understanding of of humanity, the humanity that he walked among, that he lived with. He grew in his wisdom and understanding of that. But more importantly, he grew in his wisdom and understanding of the things of his Father God. We see that because he's set among the teachers learning. I don't think that aspect ever changed with Jesus. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus is God. There is not an aspect about him that changes. It would be safe to say that the character and, and attributes And the attitudes of who Jesus was at age 12 were the very same ones of him at age 30 when he began his ministry because he was who he was, he is who he is. He grew in wisdom. So I asked myself, David, are you growing in wisdom? Are you wiser today than you were three months ago? Are you wiser today than you were five years ago? Or are you stumbling over the same things humanly as well as spiritually that you've stumbled over before? And so I have to evaluate and ask myself honestly, where am I growing in my wisdom? If if Jesus grows in his wisdom, why shouldn't I? And it says Jesus grew in favor with God. Over the last, I don't know, maybe about a year, the whole idea of God's favor, just it just seems to keep popping up in Scripture and popping up on things that I hear. And it's like, you know, God brings favor on His people. you realize that? Even though it says this about Jesus, it says in multiple places in the Scripture that God brings His favor on others, that God can bring His favor on you. Now, I don't completely... Understand that 100%. I've not wrapped my mind fully around God's favor and how that comes to you and I as a follower of Christ, but I know it from what I read in Scripture. It's not favoritism. It's like God doesn't love me any more than he loves anybody else in this room. He's not going to choose me just because I'm his favorite. But God shows his favor I think God's favor is connected to you and I and how much we follow him and how much we are obedient to him and how much we are living according to his word. Because listen to what it says in Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses is having a conversation with the Lord. It says this, Now therefore, if I, Moses, have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Two things that, that Moses says there, your ways, show me your ways. Show me how to live my life in relationship to you. Show me how to live my life in relationship to other. Remember what God gives the people of Israel, the children of Israel. He gives them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are broken down, half towards the relationship with God, the other half towards the relationship with man and each other. Moses says, show me your ways. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more. And then he fin- finishes that off besides saying, that's how I find favor in your sight. And then in Psalms we see this, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So Favor is found in those who walk uprightly, who walk Righteously, who live righteously obedient to the Lord and to his word. The other thing we see in the last part of verse 52 is that Jesus grew in favor with man. That's easier for me to understand. Favor with man is when you're that person that folks want to come to, you're that person that people want to be around. You're that person that when you walk in a when a when you walk in a room, folks are glad to see you. Folks want to have a conversation with you. You're that person that everybody knows and the reason is because everything that is true, everything that is trust, trustworthy, everything is honorable that represents you and you win favor of others. Think about that. In your neighborhood, you find favor with your neighbors when they want to come to you and ask for your help or ask for your assistance, or they know that there's something different about you, you find favor with your fellow man. Even before the miracles, Luke saw and heard that Jesus connected with others. Jesus connected relationally. That's who he was. That's how he found favor, because he cared about others. He had compassion for them. We see later in Jesus' ministry that he had had compassion for people. I guarantee you, at age 12, that still showed up. Where he had compassion for others. People want to be around people they know care about who they are. In 1 Peter, verses 2, I mean, chapter 2, verse 21, it's kind of been a life verse for me and as I try to think about wisdom and favor of God and favor of man, this is where my mind went to. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. As I look at this verse, the call for my life, the call for your life, our lives as believers in Christ, is to follow in the steps of Christ. And one of the ways in which you and I can do that is found in Luke 2, 52. in Wisdom. Increase in favor of God. Increase in favor of man. Then the last thing is this. Longing for Jesus. Longing for Jesus. When you think about Simeon, when you think about Anna, that's what they did. They longed to see the Messiah in the flesh. They longed to be in His presence. They wanted to take the things that they had heard, the prophecy, and see the reality. Man, what would it be like for your life and for my life if we were marked with the thoughts and the attitude of longing for Jesus? That every every morning when we wake up, we long to be with Him. We long to see Him work in our life. We long to see Him work around our life. The psalmist writes in chapter 63, verse 1, he writes these words, O God, You are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And do you hear the psalmist's voice? Do you hear his desire to be in the presence of God, to walk daily in the presence of God, for he to be consumed with who God is? I search, I thirst, I long. Because this life is sucking life out of me. (laughs) The weary land that has no water. Lord, I need you every day, every hour. longing for Jesus. As we look at a new year fresh, may we pray and may we reach towards being the persons that God desires for us to be each and every day of our life. As we continue to follow him each and every moment. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, every time your word is opened, it brings truth. It brings understanding. Lord, it gives us direction. Lord, it shows us who you are. Lord, it also shows us who we are. It shows us the things that we need to work on. It shows us the things that we can glorify you with. So Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Within that love, you showed us your word. You showed us your heart. You brought us salvation through your Son Jesus. You also showed us how to live life through your Son Jesus. So Lord, we thank you. We ask this prayer in your name. Amen.